Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, May 21st, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, uh, this is Monday, so let's do a real quick check of your uh, beloved flagship show uh, this week on Broadway. Over the weekend, you guys discussed the new, I mean, I don't know if it's technically a bestseller or not, but in the theater community, it sure seems to be a bestseller. And that is Todd Purdom's book, Something Wonderful, which looks back at the uh, the ways that Rodgers and Hammerstein revolutionized Broadway. You guys, you guys also talked about My Fair Lady, uh, The Gentleman Caller at Cherry Lane, and more. So anything jump out at you from uh, the conversations that you had with Peter and Michael on Sunday? Um, so the... Talk about the book, something wonderful, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein's Broadway Revolution. Um, basically, Peter and Michael highlighted some of their favorite parts, but to say we had six thumbs up uh, on the broadcast was an understatement. We're just over the moon about this and think anybody who is a musical theater uh, fan should get this book and buy it. We're trying to uh, we, we've been offered an interview with Todd, uh, the writer and we're trying to make that happen in the next couple of weeks but awesome. his, he's on the west coast and so the mornings for this week on Broadway don't really work so maybe uh, you know, some guys that record at night be able to uh, talk with him I, I have no idea who you're talking about but uh, yeah, that'd be awesome yeah, so it was a fun show, and uh, and Michael finally got a chance to see My Fair Lady, and uh, he took a very critical eye to the show. So uh, good, in- someone interesting. finally did. <laughs> well, um, uh, I mean, you know, I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills reading these reviews, James. Well, uh, listen to Michael's review. Michael right. took a very critical good. eye to the show, um, and so I'd be interested to see if you're. Uh, you are agree with it. We also talked about uh, Encore's 2019 season, and we talked about Some Like It Hot, and Peter gave us an, a historical pers- perspective on it. So uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff in uh, Very this, cool. week on, this week on Broadway. All right, and before we get into the news, I do want to mention, since there's maybe one of you out there who care, uh, you might have given six thumbs up to uh, something wonderful. I'm giving 25 thumbs up to Deadpool 2. Oh, excellent. I only have two, but it was amazing. My brother and I both loved it. Highly, highly recommend. And it made $125 million domestically. Or um, I don't know if that was domestic now that I say that, but made $125 million over the weekend, so it's doing something right. 25, an odd number of thumbs. That's kind of dark. Well, if you saw Deadpool, it probably is... (laughs) You know, not that dark. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of dismemberment going on in that movie. But you can regenerate the thumb, can't you? Yes, he can regenerate. And there is some regeneration in there that is hilarious. Hilarious. All right. So uh, first up in the news, reviews are in for Jeannie Tesori's and David Henry Wong's new work, Soft Power. Yeah, I know we're in the middle of Tony season here, but I want to start today's show out west where the new play with a musical. And yes, I said that correctly. A new play with a musical from Janine Tesori and David Henry Wong opened at L.A.'s Amundsen Theater last week. Directed by Lee Silverman, the show will play Los Angeles through June 10th and then will run from June 20th through July 8th at San Francisco's Curran Theater. Follow me here. Uh, the show is described as a contemporary comedy that explo- that explodes into a musical fantasia. Soft power. Okay. 
Stick with me, James. Soft Power rewinds our recent political history and plays it back a century later through the Chinese lens of a future beloved East meets West musical. So it's a movie musical that's a, that's a Chinese movie musical that happens 100 years from now if Hillary Clinton had actually won the 2016 presidential election. In the musical, a Chinese executive who is visiting America finds himself falling in love with a good-hearted U.S. leader, that's right, Hillary Clinton, as the power balance between their two countries shifts following the 2016 election. Now, James, I have no idea what is going on with this. I have no idea what this means, and apparently neither do some of the critics that saw it. Um, John Rafe of The Hollywood Reporter said, quote, Soft Power might be the most creatively and intellectually ambitious musical of the year. Unfortunately, like the dream it portrays, much of the production lacks coherence. The focus on theme over story leaves it feeling a bit like a showcase for clever songs and heavy-handed observations on identity. As a protagonist, Jing seldom drives the action, instead witnesses and reacts to events. His relationship with Clinton allows for occasional hilarious political insight, but fails to ignite any passion. Charles McNulty of the Los Angeles Times, after writing um, a blurb about the plot similar to the one I just read, uh, he said, quote, if you're confused by this synopsis, I'm slightly dizzy from writing it. The radical originality is both the show's blessing and burden. The delivery system the characters were talking about at the beginning of Soft Power is, to put it mildly, overloaded. The musical numbers, numbers swirling with gorgeous Golden Age pastiche are delivered with polish and pizzazz nonetheless. Lauren Lee Linker from Entertainment Weekly does give the show a solid B plus writing quote as an idea soft power is a heady concept unlike any musical in recent memory its execution is something messier and more human with genuine flashes of brilliance in the end soft powers individual strokes of genius are greater than the sum of its parts and it, as it grapples with issues perhaps too big to ever be consolidated into a two and a half hour musical it's sort of like the America it presents to audiences a beautiful, provocative, profound, messy creation with no real solutions, whose reality is perhaps not as satisfying as its concept. But it doesn't mean it won't break your heart and put it back together again while trying. Now, James, everything about these reviews in that concept just screams uh, must see to me, even if it doesn't actually all work like it's supposed to. And in one of his no longer gossipy columns uh, for the New York Post last week, Michael Riedel said that with producer Carol Shorenstein Hayes behind it, the show is considering a move to New York for next season. It is a pretty thin year for new musicals as of now, so something as interesting and challenging as this would certainly be an interesting early addition to the 2018-2019 slate. And I have a feeling if you give that team some time to refine uh, their show based off of what they saw on stage in the two California runs. I have a feeling it'll be a lot sharper if it does end up making its way to New York. Wow. That's all I can say <laughs> is yeah. uh, it, it doesn't seem like the type of musical we would expect from Janine Tesori and Dev David Henry Wong. Uh, it seems more like some sort of fringe type of thing that you yeah. know, <laughs> might get out of control there, uh, yeah. like a year in town. Or, but, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's also interesting about this is um, kind of the writing duties are split up between uh, Janine and David, much like Janine did with Lisa Crone for Fun Home. Janine, of course, wrote the music. And even though 
David Henry Wong is not necessarily known as a lyricist. He wrote most of the lyrics. Like Lisa Crone, who is a playwright, wrote most of the lyrics for Fun Home with Tesori chiming in with some of her own uh, lyric help as well. So it's kind of interesting how they've blurred that line between play and musical, like I mentioned at the beginning, to try to find something that's wholly its own. Hmm. All right. Uh, it's shocking that Tina Fey didn't show up in their show because she was everywhere else this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that Michael Riedel article, uh, the his, his column that came out on Friday is I, – I don't love the headline. But it is, even Tina Fey isn't above schmoozing for Tony votes. We always do this every year, James, where we talk about people who are out there meeting the road voters, meeting the Tony voters, making themselves known and available to try to do everything they can to influence Tony ballots. However – there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I don't like the fact that we're making it sound like there is some sort of underhanded, mischievous Machiavellian uh, you know, the plot to overthrow the Tony's integrity by doing this. But when you have a star as huge as Tina Fey that has written a show for Broadway, it would be negligent not to trot her out as much as possible to the people who are making the decisions as to who wins the awards. Riedel goes through the, the things that not only Tina Fey has done over the last few weeks, especially last week with the Tony Road or the, a lot of the Tony voters who are road presenters in town for the annual road show. Um, she hosted a panel about the show with the uh, with her high school best friend who actually inspired the character of Damien in the movie and then the music. They also talk about the fact that Scott Rudin uh, did a midnight performance of Three Tall Women so that uh, some of the Tony voters could get in an otherwise busy schedule. Talked about the fact that uh, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda has been hosting a, or hosted a panel about Angels in America. So they're bringing out as much of the heavy guns as humanly possible. Now, Tina Fey, though, does have an ace up her sleeve, and that is the fact that she's Tina Fey and her musical, Mean Girls, is produced by Lauren Michaels, who also produces a little show called Saturday Night Live. As we discussed last week, Tina Fey hosted SNL on Saturday night. And James, it didn't happen how I predicted, but we did get a pretty healthy dose of Mean Girls content in this. In fact, in a sketch that was co-written by my friend Andrew Bradis, also known as Annoying Actor Friend. He officially got a writing credit on Saturday Night Live. Mm. We see Tina Fey <laughs> kind of trying to follow in line with Lin-Manuel Miranda, who made a couple cameos in the uh, in the sketch as well. If Lin can put himself in Hamilton, she wanted to put herself in Mean Girls, and she goes through uh, <laughs> with work with Casey Nicola on the cast to try to figure out what part would be best for her, and it was really, really funny. She also had some other musical theater stuff in there, reprising her iconic uh, portrayal of Sarah Palin. She leads a chorus of other White House yeah, periphery people, uh, whether they work there or they just had some connection to the White House, leads them in a very bizarre uh, round of what I did for love. So she's definitely making her presence known on Broadway. And I'm going to tell you, James, she seems like she's having a hell of a time doing this. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the future we don't see her doing something else uh, Broadway related, whether it's another musical or a play um, or maybe even uh, appearing in something. She seems like she's really taking to the Broadway community, much like Sarah Bareilles and Josh Groban have in the years past. Yeah, I I, I watched the Saturday Night Live uh, clips and we had uh, a, a tremendous laugh uh, 
<laughs> watching her trying to go into um, into Mean Girls, and the cameos Very by Lynn, Lynn were just perfect. Yeah, and, and also Casey Nicola, who everyone forgets. Yeah. We think of him as a director choreographer. An he was an actor and a chorus member and ensembleist before, so uh, he's pull, dusting out those acting chops as well. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Matt, what else do you have for us today? All right. Here's some uh, other news stories to uh, get your week started. First, James, we do have to uh, start off with something a little bit sad because over the weekend we learned that legendary stage and screen star Patricia Morrison passed away at the ripe old age of 103. She originated the role of Lily Vanessi and Kiss Me Kate on Broadway and then continued to do that show many times around the country as well. She also played uh, Anna and the King and I on Broadway and in many regional productions opposite Yul Brenner uh, over the years. Um, she also had a robust uh, big screen and television career. You've probably seen her many times and don't even know it, but uh, uh, Godspeed to Miss Morrison. There's a lot of really good recollections of, of her life and career out there, and I'm sure Peter and Michael will probably have plenty to say next week if you guys discuss it then. Uh, we uh, we interviewed Patricia on This Week on Broadway back in August of 2013. We'll throw oh, wow. the link, link of that into, into the show notes. Oh, uh, well, she's yeah. She's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. But in happier news, speaking of Lin-Manuel Miranda, on Thursday night, Deadline reported that Warner Brothers had won a $50 million bidding war to secure the film rights to Lin-Manuel Miranda and Chiara Alagarahuti's musical In the Heights. The WB outbid the likes of Fox, Paramount, Sony, Disney, which is where I thought it would go, Netflix and Apple. On Twitter, Lin said that he wasn't going to pop any champagne until filming actually started. But, James, I, I feel pretty confident that Warner Brothers is going to do everything it can to get this going as quickly as possible so that it can ride that money train of the Hamilton wave. Uh, next, last week it was announced that Escape to Margaritaville, despite its middling uh, prospects on Broadway, will launch a national tour on October or in October 2019 from the Providence Performing Arts Center in Rhode Island. James, they clearly are not listening to you about the fact that there are too many tours. But finally, last week, the London Daily Mail's Bass Bomaboy report that the legendary Oscar winner Sir Anthony Hopkins would play the title role in the film adaptation of Florian Zeller's The Father, the role that earned Frank Langella his fourth Tony Award two seasons ago. If you would like more information on any or all of these stories, please check out the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com. All right. So before we run out of here, uh, tell me, are we going to have a Triple Crown winner? Uh, who knows? I don't I don't get horses. <laughs> See, here's the here's the thing. I'm allergic to anything with feathers or fur. Yeah. So I just have no interest in horses or dogs or cats. I'm sure I understand that people love them. I have just never had a bonding experience with them because they will literally kill me if I do. So I just I just don't care. I went to the Belmont once though, one year where there could have been a triple crown. It didn't happen. All right. Well, Justify won the uh, the Derby and the Preakness and the. Uh... And the Belmont is coming up in two weeks, and mm-hmm. we'll have to see uh, if it's a prequel to any upsets at the uh, Tony Awards. Oh, yeah, it'll be the week before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Matt James, tomorrow... Uh, I will not be here, which I think we've talked about before. If not, I'm not going to be here. Julie will be here, but we will also have Jenna Tessa Fox on tomorrow to discuss Sunday night's Cheetah Rivera Awards. So listen for that tomorrow. 
And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for uh, starting off the week with us. And uh, Julie, Jenna, and James, the J's. Oh, uh, triple J's. Triple J's. We'll be back tomorrow in your ears, and maybe Matt will be back on Wednesday. Yeah, we'll I'll be back. Yeah. There's an old wrestler named Jeff Jarrett who went by Double J. Double J Jeff Jarrett. Uh, no? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> 